John chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. John eleven four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as, uh, I do not uh, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 16, 20 through 22. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. John sixteen thirty three. I've told you these things uh, so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John twenty nineteen. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. John twenty twenty one. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. John twenty twenty six. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, these aren't all of the passages, but these are quite a few of the passages in John where Jesus looks at his disciples, specifically these 12 apostles, as we typically call them, and told them to have peace, told them to to take comfort in the fact that he has overcome the world. He has got everything uh, under his control. However, uh, by the way, we are continuing this, this lesson about the signs because we have one more sign. You know, last week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus and you might think, well, that's the end of the signs in John. And that would make sense because really all the other gospels, that's where they end. They're, the last chapter is when Jesus raises from the dead. However, John goes on. He includes another chapter. It, it's kind of like to tell us the story continues. Also, those signs that have been leading up to the sign in John, the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's the biggest miracle that you will ever read about. But yet, there's still another miracle recorded in his gospel after that. And that's the one that we're going to look at today. Because the signs didn't end at Jesus' resurrection. They continued. If you want more proof of that, open up the book of Acts. Just start reading and you will find a bunch of signs. Because the early church continued on these signs. So it's not just that, uh, that John records these miracles. It's not just that Jesus did these miracles. No, they continued on. And all the while, the disciples were expected to trust in Jesus, have comfort in Jesus. However, I believe the image that we see of the disciples after Jesus raises from the dead shows us a lot about their humanity. For instance, those last like three or four uh, passages that I read for us 
the disciples were gathered, but they had locked their doors. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of what was going to happen. Their world has just changed. They have spent the past three or so years following around Jesus, seeing all these miracles, perhaps even on a daily basis. I mean, I don't know how many miracles he did. We, we just, we're not really told, but he was doing stuff all the time. Preaching, teaching, healing people. I mean, who knows how many thousands upon thousands of people they constantly were coming in contact with. And then he dies. And then those crowds, they're gone. Their lives changed. What are they going to do? What do you do now? Well, let's pick up because the story continues. Let's see about the disciples and what they do. John 21, uh, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and went into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to his disciples, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the miracle that we get that John records for us after. This is the, the final miracle he records, the final sign that he records. And this is after Jesus has already been raised from the dead. But I think there's a lot that tells us about what the disciples are doing, and also about what we should be doing here within these verses. Uh, for example, whenever you back up to, to verse 1 and you start to realize about them going fishing, you do realize what they're doing here. They're doing what they used to do. They're actually doing what they were doing whenever Jesus found them. If you go back to the beginning of the gospel accounts, you find out these guys, they're fishing, and most of these that are listed here, they're part of the ones that were fishing. So they're fishing, and Jesus calls out to them and says, you know, actually a very similar miracle takes place, in case you're wondering why this sounds odd, and you're like, okay, it sounds familiar, I think I'm familiar with it, but I don't remember some of these details. Well, that's because this is actually the second time this pretty much same miracle has happened. A little different, some of the details are different, but this miracle happened at the very beginning of the ministry when, when Jesus was asking them at first to follow him, and now it's happening again after, well, you know, what's going on? Everything's changed. So what are they going to do? Are they going to continue to follow him or are they going to stop? 
See, that's a good question. And by the way, I think we all kind of know, they continue following him. Okay, that, that's kind of why we're also here together because they followed him, they spread the gospel. But they saw that choice. What are you going to do? Whenever um, uncertain times come, whenever difficult times comes your way, what are you going to do? These disciples had a difficult time, an uncertain time. And apparently they didn't really know what they were going to do. Peter's the one that opens his mouth and he says, well, you know, I'm going out to fish. And several other people are like, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Let's just, let's just go do that. And there could be a few different reasons as to why uh, they went out and fish. And, and if you maybe see this a little different and think something, some other reason besides what I think, that's okay. Because really, I don't know. I mean, you don't really know either. But we, we can kind of maybe sometimes guess it to why they went fishing. One thing I think is important to realize is that's what they did. That's also kind of how they made a living beforehand. So, you know, you might be wondering uh, why, why they're going back to that. Well, maybe they just needed money. Maybe they just needed food. You know, I mean, there's a few different reasons as to why you just have to go fishing because they, they needed that. Because everything about what they had been counting on, I mean, they were counting on following Jesus to the very end. They just didn't see the end coming. They just didn't expect it to come at that time, but it did. So then whenever that ministry and their life was going to change, they had to make a decision. Are they still going to follow Jesus? Yeah, that's what we should do. That's what they do. But they still have that decision. And also for us, you know, during uncertain times in our own lives, what are we going to do? Are we going to choose to follow Jesus? We have the choice, but, you know, and obviously we know the right choice, but are we going to do it? Are we going to choose to do what's right? Are we going to choose to follow Jesus? And they have that option. So here in this case, uh, in uncertain times, what do we do? Well, they went fishing. They started going back to what they knew. But yet they still uh, had in mind the things of Jesus, especially whenever Jesus makes an appearance. In verses 4 through 6, you find out that Jesus, he shows himself, but they don't really recognize. You know, I kind of wonder how that that conversation went and stuff. And, and, you know, they might be wondering, you know, who is that guy who's having this conversation? You know, sometimes fishermen might, you know, do that anyways, might call to each other and be like, hey, have you caught anything? You know, where are the fish biting? We, we ask similar things today. Uh, not that I'm the biggest fisherman myself, but, you know, it's just kind of, sometimes we just ask different people how things are going. They probably didn't think it was any different than that. Little did they know, things were about to change with them. And in verse 6, uh, sometimes we, uh, we focus on this about the right side of the boat. You know, the little song about uh, uh, that uh, cast your nets on the other side, you know, and on the right side, sometimes we, we talk about that. Um, this is a little bit of a guess, but I, I think if this is the case, then it, it kind of means a little bit more. Um, it, some people believe that fishermen intended to fish off the left side of the boat, and that's nothing to do with superstition or whatever. What it had to do with was the way their boats were, the rudder and how you like steered the little boat and all, it was on the right side of the boat. It's what they tended to do. Uh, this is a little bit of guesswork because we don't know how all the boats were, but at least some of them would have been, well, you steered it from the right side of the boat. So in order to not get involved in any of that, you fished off the left side. That's where you do your fishing. But then Jesus is saying, well, throw your nets off the right side of the boat. You know, perhaps that direction was telling them something that might have been a little difficult. I mean, they might have to kind of fumble around how to steer the boat and everything. It's like, well, okay, we're supposed to fish off of this side. I mean, how do we do this? Why are we doing this? But they do it. And I think that's a good thing for us to look at, too. What about us? 
Are we willing to follow directions, um, even whenever they might not make the best sense? You know, for us, we look at that and we're like, I don't know why they were supposed to throw their nets off the right side of the boat. And if their steering mechanism was on the right side of the boat, then, you know, why would it make sense to go to the right side? You got a perfectly good left side, but they're told to go to the right side. They're told to follow the, the, that instruction. And they do it. They didn't even know for certain that it was Jesus yet. Maybe some of them might have had a, a, an idea because this would be the type of thing Jesus does. You know, he just kind of does, does things like this a few times and teaches them something. But here in this case, they do it. Maybe at some point, some of them are starting to realize, oh, this is a very similar thing. This, this feels just like what we've done before because this miracle more or less had already happened. And I can't help but think that Jesus is doing some of these things, kind of repeating some of the same scenario to remind them of he's still there and he's still calling them. Will you follow me? Will you do this? They did. They followed the directions, even if they didn't always make sense to them. They followed it. And sometimes that's what we need to do too. Sometimes we need to be just willing to follow the directions that God gives us, even though we might not understand exactly why God wants it done this way as opposed to that way. Well, does it really matter? He wants that way, so why not do it that way? They did it that way, and they saw a wonderful thing in their presence. They saw a wonderful miracle. They had a huge number of fish. They couldn't even haul in the net, you know? And you might kind of wonder about, about Peter. That's kind of interesting. He just leaves them to deal with it. And they, so then they're, they're struggling because they're one man short now, so then they're struggling to get all this net in, and it's got a huge number of fish in, but they were able to, to get in. So let's look at this next little section because there, there's more. Here in this section, what we see is at least one of them has pieced it together. At least one of them by this point has recognized it's the Lord. Now, they were perhaps a little too far away to really recognize and make sure that, yeah, okay, that, that's him and exactly see, but, but yet they knew it's the Lord. I mean, who else could tell you, okay, just throw your nets on the right side of the boat and then you catch this many fish? Who else could do that but the Lord? Well, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which most likely John himself, he's the one that pieced it together. He says, it's the Lord. You know, Peter, we, we, of course, it has to be. And then Peter just takes off into the, into the water there and he swims. But whenever they get on land, we also see something else very interesting. When you look at nine, I want you to take notice of this because I believe it's important. You know, it's important to recognize when the Lord is, is doing something in our midst, when the Lord is in our midst. And perhaps, you know, we, Peter's response might not have been too bad. He ran to the Lord. What about us? Whenever we know he's in our midst, do we run to him as well? But also, more than that, we, we see a few other images here in verse 9. We see that when they finally do all come together, and they do all kind of come around Jesus, they see that there's already this fire with burning coals, and there's fish on it, and there's some bread. By the way, these elements, I just want to remind you of something because, you know, we, we've not started at the very beginning of John's gospel and, and gone all the way through it this morning. So, you know, some of these details might not be fresh on your mind. The last time we have seen fire in John's gospel being talked about, it was that moment whenever Peter is warming himself while Jesus is going through these trials and it's uncertain what's going to happen to him. It kind of is looking pretty bad at that point. But Jesus um, is on trial and Peter's over there. He's warming himself by the fire because it was cold that night and perhaps even other ones of the disciples were warming themselves by fires that night too because it was cold that's the last time we see it and around that fire people start looking at, at Peter 
And they recognize him and they say, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, no, no, I wasn't with him. He says that three times. He denies him three times. So you couldn't help but sort of realize, at least by John writing these details out, this is a reminder of when Peter has denied his Lord. It's going to bring back some of those, those memories. However, the, the story that we will, uh, the story that follows this, we're not going to take a look at it this morning, but the story that follows that kind of uh, undoes the best you can Peter's denial. Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. Well, in the next story that you find out about that fire, what Peter does is he accepts and, and welcomes the Lord three times as well. So you kind of, you know, you see a little bit of a, of a symmetry involved in that, a beautiful poetry of what, what Peter is doing. So that's one element that you see. We also see fish on it and bread on it. You know, the last time we've seen fish and bread in connection with Jesus, it was some of these miracles where he fed thousands of people. The Lord can provide. The Lord can still provide even after his resurrection. That was a lesson they needed to, to grasp. And you know, at some point, they start piecing these things together. They start realizing, you know, this is very similar to the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, it's different. It's not supposed to be the same thing, but it's very similar. And it would, it would remind them of that. But we also see another image on this. Do you realize they haven't brought their fish yet? But he's already on land. He's already got a fire going. He's already got fish on it. And he's got bread. The Lord provides. Let me ask you this question, just to think about it. Did he need their catch of fish in order for them to have breakfast? No. He had already provided it. He would already given it to them. However... He still asked them to participate. And that's an important part of what we as the church need to recognize. Because we do have a part to play. We do have a participation to be involved in. God wants us to be part of this community. He wants us to be a part of, of what the church is about. However, he is quite capable of being able to run things by himself. Uh, I shared this morning with the, the, the class, but it's a, the same thing I'm going to share right now. And, and it is, I, I was reading recently about some, uh, some Christian making the mention uh, that, yes, it's important for us to understand that we are the body of Christ. You know, we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And yes, all of that is important. However, for instance, this morning, did you make the sun rise? Well, no, God did. You know, God has his part to play in it. And it's not a part that we can play. We can't make the sunrise. We can't make the stars come out. We can't make it rain. We can't make all of these, these different things happen that God can do. And he does all the time. But yet, he still does ask us to do things. He still does ask us to be involved, to be connected, and to do our part. Just like in this case, did he need them in order to have breakfast? No, he already had it prepared. But he still wanted them to be involved. And they still were involved. And he still also even asked for, for some of that too. I mean, he already had fish, but then he still does say in the next verse, in verse 10, he still does say, bring some of that with you. you know? And of course, they have more than what just those 12 men are going to eat. They're, you know, they're not going to eat 153 fish, but they, you know, they, they have plenty to share. And I'm sure that they did that uh, with, the, with the rest of that. Uh, so those are a few lessons to see about what the Lord wants from us, what the Lord desires from us, things that we see within this miracle. And now looking at these uh, last few verses here, verses 10 uh, through 14, 
a few things I want to make notice of. One of them is in verse 11. The number of fish is specifically mentioned, 153 fish. And I want you to think about this. What's significant about the number 153? You know, what's important about the number 153? You know, many people have kind of tried to figure that one out. They've tried to, to find out, well, what does 153? You know, what's it, why did John tell us that bit of details? Let me tell you the best explanation and the, the best thing that I've heard about this. This is it. That's a whole lot of fish. There you go. Sometimes people look at those numbers and they try to figure it out and they're like, oh, it's got to mean something. Yeah, it means there was a lot of fish, a whole lot of fish. So many fish, they couldn't, they couldn't bring them into the boat. They, they couldn't do that. They just had to kind of drag it and just do the best they could in order to get it to, to shore. Um, I don't know exactly how many fish a typical net would hold, but they were also surprised. It was kind of like a miniature miracle within this other miracle. They were surprised that, that the net didn't tear. Well, there's something about that, you know, some significance that, yes, when God asks us to do things, whenever Jesus asks us to do things, he'll provide a way for them to work, even if they don't seem like they're going to work at first. This didn't seem like it was going to work, but it did. And as they were, they were coming and eating breakfast with Jesus, in verse 12, we see another, uh, another statement that is kind of interesting to me. And that is this phrase that we read, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And that's kind of a weird phrase whenever you read that, because you might be wondering, okay, they're, they're face to face with Jesus. How do they not recognize just by looking at him? And, and there could be a few reasons as to why, you know, it's worded the way that it is. But when it comes down to it, I mean, this is, this is proof. This is a man who they all saw die. They knew he was dead. But yet now he's alive. Now he's still doing things in the world. He's, he's, he's different also because he's able to come into rooms that, where the doors are, are locked. You know, he's, he's not picking the locks. He's just coming right on through. And he's in their midst, and they don't know how he's getting there, but he's doing that. And he, he's very interesting. Jesus, the way that he responds and the way that he interacts with people after the resurrection, it's very interesting. He kind of comes and goes a little bit. He comes and goes into locked rooms. He travels along a road with people, and then all of a sudden he vanishes. I mean, he just he does a lot of weird things. And here in this case, they were wondering, well, you know, who are you? What, what's going on? But yet they didn't ask because they knew. They knew it was the Lord. They knew only the Lord could do these things in front of them. And sometimes with us, we might be looking at, you know, our world and things we're going through and thinking, you know, what is going on? You know, what, what, is, what is God doing? What is Jesus doing? Is he doing anything? Sometimes we might have questions like that, but yet we need to also recognize what the disciples recognize. Yeah, it's the Lord. He is here in our midst. He is still doing stuff uh, among us. So yes, we might have questions and we might wonder about that. And I think that tells us about this body that Jesus was raised to. See, he was part of that new creation. And he's still going to be creating all things new. But he was part of that new creation in this old creation. And, you know, the new creation is not meant to be in this old creation. So it probably worked a little different than how it would normally work. In the future, I believe it's going to make a little bit more sense. And I believe this passage will also make a little bit more sense to us in the future, too. Once we get our new bodies, then we will see him through our new eyes. And we will see his new body and be able to walk and talk with him and be able to experience those things. That would be a great time. 
a time in which hopefully we will have a few more answers than, than perhaps what we do today. But all the while, God is there with us. He's helping us. And John records the last thing that we'll, we'll notice is that this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I believe that number, that it's the third time, it is important because it just kind of shows us, yeah, it's the third time that Jesus appears. It's kind of very fitting that you would have three as being kind of the, the final number that, that John talks about. Sort of, it's complete. Jesus, that's, that's the last time he's going to kind of reveal himself to these people. And it was. But yet he still told them that they needed to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power, wait for the Holy Spirit to come on them. And that's what they did. And that's what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit came. All these things that Jesus had promised, all these things that Jesus set forth, they were completely fulfilled uh, within uh, a few days uh, of these events here. God was still in control, even when it didn't always look like it. Jesus was still in control, even after death. He was still in control, and he came back from it, and he shows us a better way. So during our own uncertain times, what will we do? Will we turn to Jesus? Will we run to Jesus? Even though we don't always understand everything, and we might not understand why he asks us to do certain things, will we do it? Will we follow him? Will we be faithful to him? How do you respond during your uncertain or during your difficult times? That is a true test of faith. And that is one that we all must go through.